Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Alumless. Welcome. I am Ryan Catherwood, your host. Alumless is a Chris Marshall Advancement Consulting production. Every other Friday, we plan to bring you an episode of Alumless with me as your host, but starring my friend and boss, Chris Marshall, CMAC founder and CEO. Uh, this is designed to be a part talk show, part webinar, uh, but really just a fun way to engage those professionals out there interested in alumni and donor engagement. And of course, we're going to bring a special guest each episode. So be sure to always tune in and never know who you might meet here on Alumless. Our main goal is to keep this fun, entertaining, informative, and short. So these are 30-minute episodes. We're going to try hard to keep it that way. Be sure to make uh, introduce yourself in the comments section. We can actually uh, read the comments if you just post in the LinkedIn chat um, that you are checking us out, that you are here and watching us. Uh, we can see that. We can interact with you. Uh, and we can uh, answer your questions if you want to uh, send them in the LinkedIn chat. Uh, so let us know that you're out there and uh, we're excited to bring the show to you this week. Without further ado, I am going to bring to the show Mr. Chris Marshall, the, the grand poobah of alumni engagement, uh, right. the, the Yoda <laughs> of alumni engagement, if you will. Uh, I don't know. It's it's early, Chris. How you doing out in California? I'm, I'm in California and doing great. I've already had two meetings this morning uh, on Eastern time, so I am ready to go, Ryan. Good to see you. <laughs> great to be back uh, with episode two. You know, I think when you and I talked about topics, Chris, for each episode of Alumless, we try to come up with topic ideas that our audience will find most interesting and relevant. Um, why do you think a show that hits on the idea of strategic planning and staff retention is so important at this moment? The, the, the strategic planning piece of it is interesting that um, the reason I have it on our list is that it, it keeps coming up over and over again with clients. That's the main reason, frankly, um, because we hear more and more um, uh, institutions looking to think about longer term planning, not just the short term and the talent part is obvious, right, Ryan? It's so real right now. Every single client that you and I are working with and um, institutions I even touch base with not even working with are in the hunt for the right people to fill the right roles. And it's critical now more than ever to have that front of mind. And, and we're going to talk about a few tips in our conversation where we're going to bring in somebody who's been through it um, and just hired yeah. some people and still trying to hire some more. And we'll bring that guest in in a moment. But uh, they just felt, you know, topical and current that's why these are on here and we have a list of of the next six or seven weeks where where we have guests and topics we think but i think that'll morph depending on trends that happen in our industry as we go along so yeah we'll try to evolve and change the topics on the show as they meet the needs of our listening audience yeah. uh, thanks matthew winston and, and michael randall for checking in great to have you joining us uh, appreciate that uh, we have another LinkedIn user. For some reason, it didn't populate their name, but I know there's others out there checking us out. Um, Josh, great to see Josh, you from NC State. Uh, so a lot of engagement pros have strategies and, and conduct planning, Chris, but I don't think... Uh, and So what is a strategic plan and why is having one for alumni engagement important? I think, again, I'm generalizing when I speak about this, there are exceptions to this rule, but as an industry, I think we're really good 
at the annual planning and figuring out what needs to happen in this year ahead. And, and even more specifically, month ahead, week ahead, what am I going to do today? We're pretty good at that part. But when I say strategic planning, I'm talking about what's it going to look like in three years? What does success look like? What are we going to focus on? That's the word I always use. I always joke about the top, the most important three words in alumni engagement is focus, focus, and focus. Like, like in real estate, it's location, location, location. And it's true. I mean, what happens to most alumni shops, Ryan, is that we keep adding, we're good at addition, we stink at subtraction, and we keep adding things to the plates of our, our talented alumni professionals, and they're overwhelmed by the day-to-day. -day. And what a good strategic planning process does is allow us to focus on what are the priorities that we're going to do. And equally important is what are we not going to do? The conversation about what are we going to stop or what are we going to say no to when it comes up, to me, is, is, is part of a strategic planning process. The other thing I would add to that broader question, we'll get into some more detail, is that a good strategic planning process is not done by the alumni leader in her his office, nor by just you know the alumni staff. It's done with collaboration and connection and input from people across the campus and, and chance to weigh in, alumni boards, alumni councils having an opportunity so that it's done with the people who we're going to implement it with, not to the people we're going to implement it with. So um, strategic planning is a little bit different than annual planning in that it's going to be a little bit longer term, allow you to focus and frankly, allow you to say no to some things that you don't think belong on that list. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, a really interesting and relevant topic, um, Chris. And I think, you know, what we can also think about is and we've all talked about already is the other important topic for today which is talent acquisition and retention and i think they are connected which um what do you think you know how are you thinking about this challenge as one of the most uh, important for colleges and universities facing right now i, I remember chris talking to someone just yesterday who had uh, pre-pandemic 24 people in the office and now there's 12 right yeah. and Right. Some of those positions are open again, others are not, right? This is sort of a tough environment for hiring. Yeah, the, the great resignation, as they say, or whatever it's called now, they have a new name for it, but they, but the uh, is real. And it, the higher ed hit alumni engagement. And you'll, you'll see that all, every client I'm working with has vacancies and they're hiring. And the clients that are going back to the standard traditional methods of hiring, posting, you know, screening for weeks, uh, doing, you know, and, and six months later, they find the finalist and then they've lost five people in the search because they've gone somewhere else. It doesn't work anymore. That traditional approach needs to be accelerated. Um, and then ultimately, as you get down to the point where you're making decisions about hiring, flexibility in, you know, when they begin, where they live, how often they're in the office are all real issues today. And again, we're going to bring in somebody who's dealing with these right now. Uh, but it's just acute and it's it's more than I've ever seen in my 21 years in this business and moving quickly, like doing a search sounds crazy, but doing a search in four to six weeks is what we should be shooting for to fill these positions. Um, and that's crazy to think about, but we have to be the way because we'll lose talent in that pool if we don't. And at the other end of that, you know, when you get ready to make the hire, being flexible, is, I think is key. I'm a big fan of remote work uh, environments. There are some jobs that need to be in place in a location, but there are so many things that we can do in our roles that you don't have to be in blank city to run the alumni program for an institution. So um, let me just drill down on that one. Do you think that like I also believe that, Chris, that you yeah. don't necessarily need to be in close proximity to a campus to run an alumni program there? How do you feel about that? I see Jesse Phil from NC State just said, amen. Yeah. <laughs> Some other yeah. folks joining in. Good to see people here. Um, so 
I think the alumni leader position needs to be in a, well, most alumni leader positions, frankly, are traveling for, you know, 40 to 50% of the time anyway. But when they are, she or he are in their home region, being in the office a couple of days a week, I think is makes sense. You know, maybe a student alum, student engagement type position needs to be on campus when the students are on campus. But just about every other one you could do. I mean, what's the last two years have taught us? And I was, I was sort of a, I wasn't a skeptic, but I was sort of in the middle on whether or not. And then over the last two years, I realized it just doesn't matter. You can do almost all these things remotely now uh, outside of those few exceptions. And then there's administrative work that needs to happen on site as well. But and it's a tough conversation. I had this yesterday with our the same discussion with our guest coming up um, about how and when you apply these flexible rules to what positions is an interesting topic yeah. at each institution. For sure. Our friend Cindy Frederick uh, on a different webinar said uh, UVA has adopted the philosophy right. of work from where work where and when you work best. Yeah, that, that's uh, the most aggressive version I've heard. And I have another client who says we want everybody here five days a week, eight to four or eight to five. Yeah. Uh, and those are the two extremes. And I think what we're yeah. going to see, yeah. the industry is leaning more towards the UVA model, maybe not fully where they are. But but I love that they said that. That's just awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's, said, give me a laptop and a Wi-Fi hotspot and I'll do my job for wherever. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I think it's time to bring in our special guest, uh, which I'm very excited about. And he is actually not in the same room as you, but, yep. uh, nearby, uh, you are on the West coast. Uh, so I am welcoming into the stream. Ta-da. There he is. John Pine. Uh, John Pine is the Assistant Vice Chancellor for Alumni Engagement at the University of California, Santa Cruz. Before joining uh, UCSC, John held leadership positions in alumni relations and annual giving at NYU, including their campus in Abu Dhabi most recently, which we should talk about, John, uh, as well as Emory and Point Park University. Welcome to the broadcast. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We're glad, we're glad you're here. Well, let's uh, ask the most obvious first question is, what's it been like to come back from overseas from Abu Dhabi? Uh, it's been a little strange. Uh, <laughs> I was abroad for, uh, for four years. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a little bit of an adjustment coming back to America after being gone for so long. But, uh, you know, I, think I, I don't think I could have picked a better place than coming to Santa Cruz. And if you've never been, it's maybe one of the most beautiful places in the world. So uh, everyone should come visit. I got a tour yesterday. I can concur. It was just a campus. Was that your first time on campus, Chris? Or yeah, first time. I've been in Santa Cruz thirty years ago for a different thing, but um, but first time on campus, and I was just and it's the longest client I've had for a year and almost a half where I've not been on their campus. So it was fun to be here finally. That's awesome. I'm jealous. I would love to visit Santa Cruz at some point. Um, but John, let's let's continue the conversation a little bit about some of these topics. And congrats, of course, on your new role. Um, as you begun to learn more about the job of developing your own strategic plan there, uh, what are some of the challenges you're facing? And also, what are some of the opportunities that you have there at UC Santa Cruz? You know, I think they're both kind of connected, right? The challenges and opportunities are in many ways the same. The, the biggest is that for us here in Santa Cruz, but also really any school in the world, we've had two plus years of a completely different model of engagement, which was almost completely virtual. And, um, you know, the beginning of the pandemic where we would, you know, have some Zoom happy hour and get 500 people to show up. And now 
I don't think I could pay somebody to come to a Zoom happy hour if I uh, if I sent them five hundred dollars. So, uh, including myself, I certainly don't want to go to that. Um, so, I think we're we're now thinking: Do we go back to what it used to look like, or do we try to figure out what the future is? And I don't think anyone really has an answer yet. So, when we look at a strategic plan, we're trying to figure out how to how to plan for a, a world of of still a tremendous amount of uncertainty. I think. You know, even even the in-person programming that we've had in the past since I've been here since the beginning of the year has sort of had ups and downs or some things have been really popular. And people have come and other things were like, you know, shaking the trees and everyone's like, good. You know, like, I don't I don't feel safe going out yet or I don't want to go out yet or um, or that experience doesn't really work for me anymore the way it might have before. So um, developing a strategy for the future is is complicated, I would say. Somewhat confounding, right? People want different in-person experiences, are hesitant to go out, um, but they also are tired of Zoom, right? Uh, right. And so it gets to be thinking about what are we, what are we, how are we organizing here? And, and what is this strategy? Uh, what are the tools um, that maybe our next generation technology tools? What are the types of events uh, and volunteer experiences that are part in-person, part hybrid. Um, so I think you're right. There's a ton to consider. Um, Chris, uh, sort of bounce that question close over to you. Uh, you've been working as a consulting partner for uh, UC Santa Cruz for more than a year now. And what's your perspective on strategic planning at the university? Uh, and what are John's opportunities uh, in your view? Oh. John, John's inheriting a staff of, of, of initially it was two when he first signed on. I think you're up to like five or six now. Maybe you'll have seven or eight in the room eventually. But but there was a point where they had 14 people on the staff in Santa Cruz. So they 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 were forced to focus, but couldn't because there were such expectations on everybody. So what you have now is a, some returning people, a lot of vacancies that we're filling. John's filling. I'm assisting wherever I can, but uh, John's doing the bulk of it. Um, but, but the the people who have survived this transition have been just bombarded. You know, Shana and Barb, I'm thinking, I think they might be even on the webinar, on the live stream today, uh, have carried the load for, you know, 14 people. So it's going to be, we're spending the today actually talking about what are the three to five things that we're going to focus on over the next three years that um, we can handle with the resources we have. So to me, the opportunity is again that focus 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 what are we not going to do what are we going to laser in on and say we're really going to deliver these and do these well and get the buy-in from partners on campus get the buy-in from leadership above john um, uh, get buy-in from volunteers on the alumni council here those are all things that if we can get that to happen then as new ideas come along we can keep that aside and allow this team that is slowly growing we hope it to grow even further to be able to really deliver quality engagement over just trying to keep up and stay above water, frankly. It's, that's where they've been for a while. They've done a job. I know no, no, nothing slighting them, but but they all need focus. <laughs> it's the end of the day is what it boils down to. That makes makes sense to me. And uh, best of luck to you, John, as, as you're working to um, uh, reboot there at UC Santa Cruz. Uh, I know obviously talent, uh, attracting a talent, retaining talent on your team is a concern, right? We, we know that. Um, what can be done both at UC Santa Cruz, but also broadly in our field to help attract and keep people in the alumni engagement profession, the field? Well, I think there's a, there's a few things. One, I think we should continue to listen uh, to the to the chorus of young people who are saying, 
you need to pay us a living wage to work in a, in a job, right? Where we need to be able to pay people enough money to afford a house in the community that they live in, to be able to uh, consider raising a family. I mean, not to sound too political here, but it's really important. And I think higher ed has been behind the times and paying equitable wages. And I hope that that more and more there'll be opportunity to increase salaries. But I think that's one thing. But I think the other thing that is really huge is flexibility. I mean, I my whole career, I've always been a big believer in we have a really cool job. We have a really fun job. I love what we do, but we're not you know, we're not doing surgery, right? We're not like saving the world. So like yeah. people come into this type of profession to have a balance in their life and have flexibility. So like you guys were talking about before, if if that's working remote and you want to work, you know, eight to four, or you want to work seven to three, or if you want to work a four day week and, and a longer four day week and have Fridays off, whatever, you know, I think like we have to be accommodating and flexible to whatever work looks like in 2022. I think that there's this concept of the future of work and it's here, like it's here yeah. right now. And if we don't seize on that opportunity, then we will continue to lose people to other industries, other opportunities that are more present and more aware of what people need to be happy in their life. And as Chris has heard me say many times the last couple of days, that is the most important thing to me. Like yeah. you have to be happy at work, you have to love what you do. And if you don't, maybe you should go somewhere else. And that's okay, you know? But um, but we have the opportunity to create those spaces that feel supportive and feel engaging and allow people to have a normal and a normal flexible life. And that I think is what um, I hope I can do. Yeah, um, that's great. I, I, I... Ryan froze on me, John. Yeah, same. <laughs> I can, I can, uh, well said, John, someone just weighed in, but uh, let me just jump while Ryan is unfreezing. Um, the question we had to, we have this written down in advance. So we know where we're going. So I'll pick it up. Uh, one area of our work is typically part of a strategic plan for alumni engagement is connectivity with career services, John. And I know we, we you and I have had this conversation thinking about that partnership, uh, with career services, uh, is, is, uh, relevant to the topic of talent acquisition as well. So how can the office at UC Santa Cruz play an important role, not just in identifying and cultivating talent for your team and you are, but also help alumni find the talent that they uh, they need in, in the student body, if they're recent grads or, or anywhere in the alumni population for that matter. I think those two go together somehow. And I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I think I, this is another conversation I feel like I've been having with alums a lot, um, it, you know, the most important thing is that when a student graduates today, the work world that they're entering into world that any of the three of us graduated into, right? It just looks completely different. So how you engage in that space, how you, you know, make personal connections, which let's not, you know, let's be real here. That's part of work, right? We all, we kind of, we spend a lot of time here. So yeah. how do you build personal relationships with people? But I think what we have to do is we have to work with career services to find recent graduates, graduates from the last one to three years who are finding jobs that are fulfilling, that make them uh, enjoy what they do. And those are the people that we have to pull in and quite honestly, find less focus on the grads from 10, 20, 30 years ago, because while they're important, I think what we hear from students in particular is that that feels aspirational, but unattainable because the world that somebody who graduated 30 years ago entered into 
they had a living wage that they could afford a house. They had things that our students today don't have. So if, if somebody who is, you know, graduated in 1978, is like, you got to work hard and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. A 22 year old is thinking, yeah, thanks. Cool. <laughs> Not going to work for me. And so I, I think we have to be realistic, right? I think we have to be realistic and honest with ourselves that we should work with career services to find people that are actually going to be helpful for our students that are graduating. And I think that's where we need to prioritize is the recent grads and, and engaging them in this kind of work, because I just think it's um, just much more meaningful to a graduating student and that type of alumni engagement. Yeah. I'm back. I was obviously having some some internet uh, bugs, but um, I'm glad glad to have returned successfully. Uh, the the question of career services, I think, is a really great one and definitely lives at the intersection of you know, sort of strategic planning and strategy and some of the answers to what we're thinking about when it comes to the talent pipeline development. Uh, let's see. Chris, did you uh, ask John the question sort of about? Yeah, I did. Uh, I did. Okay. Um, so, Chris, to continue the question from your vantage point on career services as part of an overarching strategic plan, how do you view that importance of that content area? Yeah, um, to me, it's it's appeared in some form. I've done close to 50, maybe over the strategic plans in the past year, over a dozen. And in every single one in recent years, it's come up in, in some form. It's called professional, it's called career, it's called different things. Um, some places take it as far as alumni career services. I'm not a big fan there. I don't think alumni career services are scalable personally. I think there's other things we can be doing uh, around alumni professional-like development activity. To me, it's it's the first, if you do a survey of your alumni population, I've seen many of them done, various, various entities out there do them. But one of the things alumni will talk about is what they want from alma mater are, especially as you get younger, to John's point, it's even more um, clear in that that youngest group is they want access to career opportunities, job postings, networking, uh, throw in the word mentoring. There's interest in that hard thing to manage at an institution. I totally get that. Uh, but, there, you know, I, I, one one survey recently, four of the top five things that alumni wanted from alma mater were career professional related. So so if we get into the conversation of, of mutual value, how can the institution continue to add value in the lives of the uh, alums and not just be saying, hey, here's what you can do for us, volunteer, give us your money, et cetera, but here's what we can do for you. Um, one of the unique things that the institutions own is the network. You can find the network from the institution on LinkedIn, but the brand of the UC Santa Cruz network in this example is unique to UC Santa Cruz and people will support others who are in that same network. And you almost always get a yes when an alum hears from a student, they want help or a young alum, they'll, they'll respond and they'll help. And that's part of what I think we need to be um, uh, adding into when we talk about strategic planning, for example, is mutual value. What's it? What's in it for the alum, and especially for our youngest alums who are dealing with these career and life transitions where we have older alums that have like, been through it, different ages, as John was pointing, but, but our younger alums are dealing with the same issues right now, I think are critical. So mutual value are the two words I could jump back and, to on that. If I could, if I could add just two yeah. on that, that there's a, there's a, I think a lot of schools always have this idea that if they build these programs, the people will come. And I just think that that's like, I, I think my, for a long time, I've heard people talk about, yeah, we need mentorship programs and we need, you know, job postings and so on. We build all these, spend a lot of the money in these technologies and then no one actually shows up and uses them. So like, 
there's a question of, of, of spin. How do we spin this in a way that actually feels supportive? And I think that in some ways, everything old is new again, right? And so the idea of creating actual spaces that are like at companies or like networking gr groups or specific opportunities around certain career tracks are probably a better approach to be more targeted than, than the larger kind of like, we're going to have, you know, this, <laughs> this tool that we have all these job postings, like, okay, cool. I can go on Indeed and get that for free. So um, how do we, how do we create things that actually feel meaningful in this kind of uh, space? And that is something that I think is where we need to prioritize. The, yeah, um, yeah. I'll add too, if you're in the career services world, one of the concepts they talk about is the career community. What's the career community you can put around a student? It's faculty, staff, it's other students, but it's also alumni who have these experiences. And if you have a student who's interested in entrepreneurship, finance, real, fill in the blank, any industry or profession, building affinity groups that cut across zip codes and class years, which is the old way, that we, we, an important way we engage alumni or those segments about where do you live and when did you graduate? The segmentation of what is your career professional interest? doesn't matter how old or where you live. We're going to put alums around that and the value there. And by the way, that model is a scalable model using staff and volunteers to drive those kinds of activities, which could ultimately get to mentoring relationships, jobs, et cetera. All those things will come, but it's not the job and the mentoring first. It's the it's the community first, the professional industry group, if you will, that's going to drive those kinds of that kind of activity underneath it. It's got to be um, scalable and manageable first, I think, is what it comes down to on that side. And I was just going to add the one last thought that, you know, almost every university uses Handshake now. And yeah. within that platform, you can find, you know, the hundreds potentially of sometimes thousands, depending on each university, the alumni who have been recently or who are currently trying to recruit um, students and recent graduates at their universities. And I think there's often alumni shops, they don't know that, that that tool is actually in Handshake. Right. And it's, um, you know, at a minimum, it's probably all those people probably aren't in the CRM, right, uh, to sort of track that engagement. Yeah. Yep. So there's a whole pool. There's a whole, you talked about community. There's a whole pool of people there that want to be involved who are trying to make an impact. And uh, there's an, a strategy, I think, to be had around engaging those individuals. Uh, Chris, to wrap up the show here as we get close to the top of the hour, you know, the other day I was talking to a director of alumni engagement at a state school, and, and she said, as I mentioned, that the staff is 50% lower than it was pre-COVID. And now there's positions that they're not going to be able to refill. There's also ones that they haven't gotten the right applicant pool. Uh, the point being is that to maintain pre-COVID levels is the mandate, but with half the people, right? And so the question now, I think, and for a lot of teams out there is the reality is, is they're probably facing a new normal uh, and will likely never get back to the way things were. In your estimation, how should alumni leaders be thinking about staff levels and how to create the right strategic plan to fit the future? Yeah, uh, you're not going to be surprised that I can give you this answer in three words, which is focus, focus and focus. But to do that, an alumni leader can't just say, look, I have half my staff. We're going to do half these things instead, and we're going to really just do these. What has to happen is that you have to have buy-in from at a VP level, at an alumni board, in some cases, level councils, 
but all the way up to the president or the chancellor of the institution so that when the pressure comes from outside or anybody starts to hear, how come we're not doing X, Y, or Z? The answer is because we're focusing on these things right now. I worked for a VP at Cornell. Charlie Flager is now at Virginia Tech, who was really good at saying, we're not going to do that now because it's not part of our strategy. We're going to focus here. Thank you for the suggestion. We'll take it and put it off to the parking lot. But we're going to do these things now. And, and no matter who the person was with that idea, left that meeting thinking they got heard, but we're not going to do it right now. And that's okay. We're going to focus on the most important thing. So you need cover fire to be able to focus at that level. Hard to do. And I know, John, you, we talked about this just recently and love to hear your thoughts if you want to add anything to what I had to say. Um, you know, even in the, in the context of finding talent, how do you, um, you know, if you have a vacancy and we're looking for somebody in a role and we can't find it, what do you do then with that area? Do you put it off to the side? Do you, you know, what are your thoughts? Well, I think, you know, where we get this the most is probably from, from volunteers and from sort of the yeah. general alumni population, which is like, you ought to do this. And we mm -hmm. think, oh, cool. Uh, with what money, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, and, and now with what staff, right? So I think that that's the answer. You know, my, one of my best mentors from Emory used to say, write down the idea, make anyone feel heard, and then just put it in a file for later when you're able to do it someday. <laughs> I love so, that. It's great. I won't, I, I won't say who it is, but <laughs> always inspiration to me. <laughs> so yeah, well, that's, that's my thought. John, it was great. Thank you so much for being our, our special guest on this episode of Alumless. Uh, John is, of course, the the, the new-ish, a couple months now, uh, Assistant Vice Chancellor of Alumni Engagement at UC Santa Cruz. Great to have you. Chris Marshall, star of the show, president and CEO of CMAC. Uh, Ryan Catherwood, I'm your host, Vice President at CMAC. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for everyone in the comments section. It was great to see you. Uh, and we are a wrap for today. Thanks so much. Have a good weekend.